You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Hey, let's pray and we'll dive in. Uh, Father, thank you so much uh, for this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I pray, Father God, that you'll use this time and this sermon to, uh, to form us. I pray that your Holy Spirit now, Father God, would, uh, would speak through me for your name's sake. I pray that you'll take this five loaves and, and two fish and that you will multiply it to your people. I pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. And Father, I also pray for Citizens Church in Alabama and Pastor Justin Carl, um, who today at four o'clock as they will launch their first service. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to uh, just do a work that is as powerful within that community. I pray that today would be a deep encouragement to Justin and his beautiful family. And I pray, Father God, that you allow your gospel to continue to spread, not just here, not in Alabama, not throughout the United States, but through the entire world. Will today be a day that you receive glory and praise from your people, from a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. In the matchless, victorious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. Hey, there's a a documentary uh, called The Book of Manning. And in the documentary, you have a a powerful picture of a a father who has uh, shaped his children through his example of grace, mercy, and compassion. Uh, You may know Archie Manning, who was a football player himself, who would go on to father uh, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, and Cooper Manning. Peyton Manning would go on to be arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Eli Manning was a great quarterback in his own right, winning two NFL championships. And Cooper Manning was an outstanding quarterback as well going into college until he got a congenital uh, uh, spinal disorder, which ended his career. But in short, the documentary shows how loving and how gracious Archie Manning is. Uh, See, Eli Manning, while he was in college, ended up uh, being addicted to alcohol, and he became an alcoholic, and Eli talks about how his father, doing his alcoholism while in college, rather than condemn him, uh, rather than judge him, walked alongside of him step by step until he overcame alcoholism. And Cooper Manning talks about how when he got his congenital uh, spinal disorder, even though he knew that his father was crazy about football and had a dream of all three of his boys making it to the professional leagues, how his father came alongside him, made sure he did not feel less than, and compassionately loved him. If you've seen the documentary or watched it, you'll see how all of them kind of share the same personality. They all are very warm and and kind. And I think that's a picture of the way in which their father poured into them. Now, you take the example of Archie Manning. And then you take the example that Brett Favre describes of his dad. He talks about having a father who was more like a, a drill sergeant. He goes on record to saying that his father was so hypercritical of him as a, as a quarterback and as a man that he felt that he, he never was pleased. 
He said that at every point in his NFL career, he heard the condemning voice of his dad. And it was his dad's voice that drove him to be the best and to never be satisfied. He went on record in an interview and said this, part of my success always has been that I felt that I some, had something to prove, even after I won three MVPs, that has not changed today. If I'm going to play, I'm going to be the best, and I'm going to play with a chip on my, my shoulder. And he contributes this attitude to his dad. Brett Favre, while he was in the NFL, uh, played through a lot of pain. And as a result, he became addicted to pain medicines as well as to alcohol. He said that the only thing that saved him from being an alcoholic and continuing on the path of, of drugs was his wife, who said, if you do not get it together, you're going to lose your family. Two pictures of dads, one who was loving and compassionate, who came alongside his son, who was a good dad because he said his dad was absent. His father killed himself at an early, early age while he was younger and committed suicide. And then you have another picture of a dad who was like a, a militant who pushed his son to never be satisfied and who told his son, essentially, the only way that you're going to be loved is by being the very best. And this isn't to condemn uh, Brett Favre's dad. And it's actually not to point Archie Manning as a, as a hero. Um, every father is going to leave wounds. Every father is going to be imperfect. But what this does give me is a picture and a lens in which is helpful to me as I, I read the Gospel of Matthew. See, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a picture of, of two leaders. Uh, one leader is, is Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is training his disciples to be a compassionate group who represents the Father to those that, that, that they lead. The other picture is a, a, group, a picture of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day who were putting the law on the people of God, and not the law as it was intended to be communicated, but their law, their interpretation law of the law on the people of God. And rather than the people of God having an experience of love and compassion, they, they felt that they always had to do more, that God only loved them if they performed this way. In fact, God would only love them if they became like the Pharisees. The Gospel of Matthew is a picture of Jesus, who is God incarnate, walking the dusty streets of, of Galilee, going into villages and towns and, and, and even the bigger cities, showing people this is what God is like. When you see me, you see the Father. And Jesus is also training up his disciples to help people to have a, a compassionate, a beautiful picture of a benevolent God who is compassionate towards them. In Psalm chapter 145, verse 5 through 6, the psalmist talks about God in this way. It says that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and, and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. This is a picture of God the Father. This is a picture of the God who created the universe. He is a compassionate Father he is good to everyone who bears his image. He is not an angry God. He is not a vindictive 
God. He is a, a loving God who is slow to anger, who is great in faithful love, and who has compassionate on all that he has made. And this is a picture of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this of Jesus, that Jesus is the Son He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. So when we read today's passage and we see Jesus being compassionate to a crowd, may we see that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is one with the Father. As he told the disciples, when you see the Father, you see me. And Jesus modeling for the disciples the Father love so that they, too, would experience the compassion of God the Father, be formed by it, and be compassionate to others. And here's where we're going today. We've been talking a lot about what it means to be a gritty church. We've defined grit as being a church who is both passionate and who is persevering. And when we think about grit, we think about toughness. We think about someone running to the action. We maybe even have a picture of something like a pickup truck just going through dirt and mud. Grit. But grit isn't just this toughness, right? Uh, grit is also, also a, a softness. It's a, it's, it's a mercifulness. It's, a, it's a, a heart of compassion. When I think of gritty people, I don't just think of people who are just physically strong and tough. I think of people who are also weak and caring, people who run towards widows and orphans, people who affirm the dignity of of other human beings, people who don't just come to to help you and then leave, but who's, who's willing to stick it out with you. People who inconvenience themselves in order to show the the love of Christ to other people. And so Jesus is about to model God's compassion with the, the hopes that it will shape the disciples for future ministry. Because as Jesus is going to leave and go back to the Father, it is the disciples that are going to shepherd and lead the early church. And he wants to make sure they understand, experience God's love to show God's love to others. This is an important text. It is the only miracle that is repeated in all four Gospels besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wants us to see something here. Let's give you a little context before I give you four principles of of a compassionate church. Uh, We want to remember that last week we heard a great sermon about how John the Baptist was beheaded. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And so Matthew, right after the beheading of John the Baptist in verse 13, says that when Jesus heard about this, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. So Jesus is hurting. He needs to be alone. But not only was John the Baptist beheaded, Jesus, when he hears about the beheading of John the Baptist, is in Nazareth. And Nazareth is is the hometown of Jesus. And Jesus has just been rejected by his own hometown and his own people. And the reason that that's important is because I want you to see what's happening here. Matthew is setting up that Jesus withdraws from the crowds because essentially Jesus is hurting. John the Baptist, his cousin is dead. He's just been rejected. There's a heaviness and a weightiness to what is happening. I mean, Jesus knew John the Baptist. Like, they go way back. Like, how far back? Way back. Like, to the womb, right? 
It was John the Baptist that leaped in his mother's Elizabeth's belly when Mary showed up to her house. Uh, they go way back. John the Baptist was Jesus' hype man. Like every time Jesus showed up, John the Baptist was like, yo, this is Jesus Christ who comes to take away the sins of the world. I must decrease. He must increase. I'm not, I'm not fitting enough. I'm not worthy enough to tie the, the, the laces of his sandals or the shoestrings of his Jordans, right? John the Baptist was Jesus' dude. So much so that in Luke chapter 7, Jesus tells a crowd, he says, there is no one uh, born of a woman who is greater than John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist has been beheaded by Herod for speaking the truth. And this hurts Jesus. This hurts Jesus. This is really a, a, an important text in the Gospel of Matthew because up until this point, up until this point, the only people who have come against Jesus has been Pharisees and religious leaders. But in Matthew chapter 13, we see that this is going to be the first time where Jesus is going to face opposition from, from regular people. And if you couple this with the death of John the Baptist, I believe that this is the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew where we are now starting to see the foreshadowing of Jesus' own death. That Jesus is going to be crucified not simply because the Pharisees were against Jesus but because people were going to reject him too. And so with that, we see Jesus is hurting. The disciples are hurting as they have been rejected like Jesus. And some of them were discipled by John the Baptist. Their mentor is dead. And yet Jesus is going to teach them in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their hardship to be gritty and to look outside of themselves in order to continue to serve people when they're hurting. Fourth principles that we uh, need to see in this text, if we're going to be a, a gritty church that fills up the city, is this, is that a compassionate church is a balanced church. A compassionate church is a, is a balanced church. The text shows us that Jesus has compassionate on the crowd. That word compassion means that he literally was moved in his gut. And, and him being moved in the gut as he saw this crowd, according to Mark's gospel, uh, Mark has the same story. And Mark adds this, he saw the crowd were like sheep without a shepherd. Which is interesting because as a, a Jewish crowd, the, the Pharisees were supposed to be the shepherds. But rather than being good shepherds, they were selfish shepherds. Go home and read Ezekiel chapter 34. We see this picture of self-centered shepherds who didn't really care about the people, who cared more about themselves, who didn't really feed the people, who cared more about feeding themselves. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He sees these crowds who are following him from place to place. And the Bible says he has compassion on. Now, what does compassion look like? He's moved to his belly. Even though he is weak, he does three things if you look at the synoptic gospels. One is he teaches them. Now, Matthew's gospel doesn't say that Jesus teaches them. He only emphasizes his healing. But according to the other gospel narratives, before he does healings, he preaches the word. And then he feeds them. Jesus teaches, he heals, and he feeds. And here's my point really quickly is this. We here at Sojourn Midtown, we are a church that believes in holistic ministry. 
We believe in preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that the most important message that a human being can hear is the message that we are sinners, born into sin, shaped by iniquity. We have been born into sin because Adam and Eve, our our great-great-great-grandparents, sinned and rebelled against God, and the wages of sin is death. But we also believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and that God gave his son as a sacrifice for us so that he would be our substitute. And so that we who look to him by faith may be saved by grace. And that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises us from the dead. And as we place our faith and trust in God the Father by faith, we receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive life abundantly. And we receive the promise of eternal life. That is the gospel. That God died in our place. That is the most important message. But as a church, we also believe that God has not called us to to just preach this message. God has also called us to live this message by loving people, by modeling his compassion towards us. The Bible said that while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died for us. God was compassionate for us while we were rebelling against him. And Jesus here is going to model for us God's love for humanity by feeding a group of people who were not even considering him to be the Messiah. According to John chapter 6, the Bible is going to tell us in the same passage, John gives the same passage, that people are going to be fed by Jesus and they're going to seek to follow Jesus after he does this miracle. But they're not following him because they believe that he is the son of God. They're not following him because they, their hearts are warm to him and they want to repent and turn to trust him. No, they're following him because they want something from him. They want him to become their Messiah. They want him to take over Rome to put them back into a place and position of power. And even though Jesus knows that this crowd who is before him is going to reject him, even though Jesus knows that this crowd that is before him is going to yell, crucify him, just a, a few weeks later, he still breaks bread and serves them. Even though they can't do anything for him and they won't submit to his lordship. Here's what I'm saying. True Christianity preaches the word of truth but it also models the love of God by drawing near to hurting people. And here's my heart. I am really disturbed by churches who major in either or and who disconnect this picture of both and. I'm really disturbed by how many churches within our denomination and within other denominations will say all we need to do is preach the word. We don't have to care about the broken in our community. We don't have to care about the downcast in our community. We don't have to go out of our way to know the people who are around us and to serve them. All we have to do is preach the gospel. That is not what the Bible models for us. And I'm also disturbed by churches who who devoid the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who, who say, uh, 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 all we need to do is to serve people and to care for them and, and to set up shop to, to meet their needs, but who never preach the message that can transform them if they believe by faith from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. A compassionate church is a church that both teaches, that both meets physical needs, 
and that, that feeds people spiritually. Francis Schaeffer says, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. And if you're a part of Sojourn Midtown, and if, if, if you are a person who is just all about truth, but that truth never leads you to care about other people's physical, emotional, and mental state, then that's ugly. Second, Jesus is going to teach us this principle that a compassionate church embraces inconvenience for the sake of the mission. The text tells us in verse 14, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. When evening had come, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, these disciples are hurting. They're, they're tired. I mean, they tired, y'all. Um, they've just got rejected. Jesus has been teaching all day. Uh, He's been healing. He's been doing all these miracles, and they are hurting. John the Baptist is dead, and they know that Herod now uh, somehow thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. They're thinking to themselves, wait a minute, we're following Jesus. We thought that he was the Messiah, and he's going to make all things right. But man, it looks like we're on the same path (laughs) as John the Baptist. Jesus, send these people away. There's nothing for them to eat. It's late. Have them go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But look at what Jesus does. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is teaching the disciples to live with grit. Jesus is not ignoring the disciples' pain. He's not ignoring their tiredness. But what he is teaching them is this self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial way of living. That if you are going to be leaders of my ecclesia, if you're going to be leaders of my church, you have to learn to look past yourself. You have to learn that even though you are hurting, that I've still called you to minister to others. That there are going to be times when you are tired. There's going to be times when you are baffled. There are going to be times when you feel sick. There's going to be times when you feel broken. And you are still called to feed my sheep, to preach the word in season and out of season. Jesus is trying to give them a vision for, of compassion for people who are hurting. And he's saying, no. Now is not time to send them away. Now is time to press in. Now, Jesus is not teaching his disciples to be unhealthy. Jesus is not telling them that, it, that they shouldn't ever rest, never, ever rest. In fact, we know this is not the case because every uh, Friday evening to Saturday evening, Jesus practiced the Sabbath with his disciples. He modeled rest for them. But what Jesus is doing is saying, you have to know when it is time to rest and when it is time to work. And right now, it is time to work. My concern for us as a church and, and even for just, just this generation is that it's very easy for us to talk about self-care. It's very easy for us to, 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 to kind of get caught into our own world and, and caught into our own life and, and caring for ourselves and our family to the neglect of having compassion for other people. God has saved you. 
God has set his affection on you. God delivered you, not so that you could cruise into heaven, but so that you can crash into heaven. God has, has saved you so that you can be light and salt into the world. Jesus told his disciples, it's better that I leave. It is better that I go to be with the Father. Just before ascending, uh, resurrecting from the dead and ascending into heaven. And that baffles our minds. Jesus, how is it better for you to leave? How is it better for you to be with the Father than if you were to remain? And the reason it was better for Jesus to leave is because Jesus was leaving the church with his Holy Spirit. He was leaving us with God himself, indwelling us. And where there is one physical Jesus, there are are now many little Jesus. That's what a Christian is. It's a little Christ who is now able to be the hands and the feet of Jesus all over the world. But if the church is self-centered, if the church is only always thinking about themselves, if the church never learns to, to have grit and to see outside of themselves and to live sacrificially, then the world won't know this radical, benevolent God who loves us. Perhaps God's challenge and encouragement to you today is to, is to, yes, love yourself. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Part of the greatest commandment is to love, to, is to love yourself, is to take care of yourself. But it's also to love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Whoever the Lord puts in front of you. Whoever the Lord has placed beside your house, whoever the Lord has you working closely with at your place of work, whoever the Lord has you rubbing elbows with at, at, at your school, to love them as yourself, to have compassion, to have compassion on them. Jesus models this and he tells them, you give them something to eat. And I think that this is interesting because I think part of what Jesus is is doing is twofold. One, I think he's stretching the disciples to see if they're going to walk in the authority that he gave them a few chapters before when he commissioned the disciples to go and to do ministry in his name and under his authority. I believe that part of it is Jesus saying, do you all have the faith and have you been paying attention to see that there is no problem too big for me? I mean, I have healed lepers, I have given sight to the blind. I have opened deaf ears. For crying out loud, you saw me speak peace to a raging sea. Jesus was giving his disciples an opportunity to pause, to look at the scenario, saying, hey, you go and feed them. And, and perhaps what Jesus was anticipating uh, or, 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 or wanting to draw out of them is, is rather than them saying, how are we going to do it, to pause and to say, okay, Jesus, will you teach us, show us how we are going to do this? Because you've already shown us that you can do anything. You've already shown us that demons have to obey your voice. You've already shown us that you can, you can give life to a dead body. You've already, you've already shown us that there is something unique about you. And if you are the Messiah, maybe you are able to feed people in the wilderness. I mean, that's not unheard of. See, there was a man named Moses who was in the wilderness. And he was with a group of people who were hungry, and God fed those people with manna daily. And there was a man by the name of Elijah who fed a hundred men with just a few pieces of bread. 
And if Moses can do it, and if Elijah can do it, then certainly Jesus can do it. Jesus was giving the disciples an opportunity to stretch their faith. And he was teaching them to be inconvenient. But in the midst of the inconvenience, rather than focus on what they don't have. Oh, y'all don't hear me. To focus on what they do have. Mm. Rather than to focus on uh, 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 what they lack. (laughs) To to focus on uh, uh, what they possess. Rather than to focus on what might not happen. To, to focus on what, what can happen because with God, all things are possible. And see, a compassionate church, a, a compassionate church is a, a gritty church that is working together. It's a gritty church that is working together. That's what we see in this passage. I'm going to hurry to a close. Jesus says this, verse 14, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, bring them here to me. He said, then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Wow. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, breaks it, distributes it to the disciples, and they distribute it to the people. Jesus invited the disciples to share in one of the greatest miracles that ever was completed. Jesus was building up the disciples' confidence and he was allowing them to participate in ministry. And they worked together to feed the people. They worked together to feed the people. And this is a picture of of the priesthood of believers. This is a picture of the church. The Bible tells us that, that, that God has gifted the church with many different gifts, some apostles, some teachers, some, some preachers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, tells us that every member of the body is an important part of the body. Every member plays a part. The ministry that we have here is not to be revolved around Pastor Jamal or those who teach from the podium. It's not to be revolved around those who are on paid staff here. The ministers of Sojourn Community Church are the covenant members of Sojourn Community Church. We will cease to be a gritty church if we don't each use our gifts and to see that God has given us each a few loaves and some fish to distribute to the people of Louisville. If our idea of ministry is just coming here to to hear the word and and going to D group and going to community group without actually being used by God to feed people who are broken, who are hungry, who are alienated, who who are drowning in shame, drowning in guilt, drowning in in, in, in unforgiveness, um, then we are missing an opportunity to be the church that God has called us to be. If you are a member of Sojourn Community Church, God has not called you to just warm a pew on Sunday or even merely just to be present on community group. God has called you to press in into his mission, to help make disciples of a people from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. Jesus left and he ascended and left gifts to his church. And every single person in here has a gift. 
Every single person in here has been been commissioned to be a part of this ministry. I love what Jesus does here. The Bible says that he took the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he did three things. He blessed, he broke, and he gave the bread to disciples. He blessed, he broke, and he gave it. Now, you guys may remember a couple uh, weeks ago, we did a series called Dangerous Prayers. In one of our series, we talked about Break Me. In that series, I talked about how uh, every time we come to communion, part of what we should reflect on is is this, is Jesus's words of how he blessed the communion. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and how that blessing, breaking and giving of the communion bread is also a picture of what God does in the life of his disciples. These disciples were before a crowd. They were tired. They were hurting. But as they experienced the mercy of God, God was teaching them to be merciful to others. They were blessed, they were broken, and they were distributed to meet the needs of this crowd. They were blessed, they were broken, and they were distributed to meet the needs of this crowd. There's a saying that says, hurt people hurt people, which is true. If if Jesus had just listened to the disciples Essentially, they would have reciprocated the hurt that they received when they were in Nazareth. In Nazareth, they were rejected. And essentially, they would have rejected this crowd and sent them away hungry. And most theologians say is when you look at the area of towns that that Jesus was around, none of these villages would have been able to feed 15,000 people. Their hunger would not have been met. But what Jesus is teaching them to do is to realize that God is their substance and that their ministry to other people, even in the midst of their brokenness, can be used by God to heal. A compassionate church offers their brokenness, offers their weakness to the Lord and continues to do ministry by faith, knowing that God's power is what fuels our ministry. Not our perfection. Not our giftings. Not our intelligence. Not our wisdom. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that not many people who are called by God was noble. Not many are intelligent. Not many are wise by the world standards. No, Paul tells the church at Corinth that God intentionally calls his people who are weak by the world standards. That God intentionally calls people who are not noble by the world standards. That God intentionally calls people who are insecure and who are broken, who are at an end of themselves. And that God uses them in their weakness to bring glory to himself. That's how Paul, God broke Paul. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and the Bible says that he prayed three times, Lord, would you just take this thorn for me so that I can be a matter minister for you? And and the Bible says that, that God told Paul, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for it is in your weakness that I'm made strong. Jesus is teaching the church and teaching his disciples that that. 
the power for ministry is going to come through him, that God has blessed them. He's justified them. He's made them his, that he is in the process of breaking them through their suffering so that he can distribute them to the world. God's invitation for you today is to bring him your five fish and two, your five loaves and two fish. It's to come to him weak, just as you are. It's to stop looking around at what everyone else seems to have. And and like Moses, look at the rod that is in your hand. It's to stop walking around in self-pity and self-defeat, thinking that, that if only God had made me this way, I can be used by him. And to recognize that God knitted you together in your mother's womb, that he called you and that he gave you your unique story for such a time as this. And that he can use all of you and what you have for his glory, that he can take it and he can use it to feed other people. Stop navel gazing and get to work for Jesus. Stop being consumed about what you can't do or can't say or what giftings you don't have and start looking at how he's gifted you. If you can bake, bake for the glory of God. If you got a gift of hospitality, do hospitality for the glory of God. If you got the gift of editing, edit for the glory of God. If you got the gift of service, serve for the glory of God. If you got the gift of connecting with kids, goo goo gaga for the glory of God. But just use what God has given you in step with the gifts of other people to feed people who are hurting, who are lost, who are habitually hopeless who's wondering if God loves them after all that they have done. Go to them with your five loaves of bread and your two fish and let them know that God is benevolent, that he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that he's not a a militant father standing over them saying that in order for you to be in relationship with me, you have to do everything right. It's the opposite. He's saying, That in order for you to be in relationship with me, you have to recognize that your good is never good enough, but that what pleases me is my son's work and what he's done on your behalf. And if you place your faith and trust in him, not only do you find forgiveness of sin, but you find full acceptance in your worst day and your best day before me, you hear the same thing, my good and faithful servant, my beloved child. Run to Jesus. Bring him what you have today. See God as a benevolent father who wants to renew you from the inside out with his mercy so that you can be merciful to others. Get over yourself and get on mission. Every Sunday we gather together and we take a meal called communion. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, gave thanks. He said, this is my body broken for you. The same way he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.
Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And again, may you remember that God has blessed you, broken you, and his desire is to distribute you into the world so that you can make disciples. So that you can make disciples. Those of you in the front, you can come to the front. Those in the back can go to the back. Gluten-free and alcohol-free communion is to my left. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.